And again, I'm thankful that you guys are here. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like this is the group. <laughs> Maybe this is the 20%. <laughs> this, uh, let me just say something in general about this, this study. I've really benefited greatly from this uh, study, having to reread the book. <laughs> I've read it before. But uh, everybody out there probably has a fence right now. And last week, last week somebody left offended. <laughs> so let's just say that, uh, <laughs> be, be like Todd White says, be unoffendable. <laughs> That's what we strive to do. So once we know what happens, once we know what causes it, then we can, uh, we can do it. Okay, put number four up there. I, I don't know how to do these automatic things. <laughs> okay, this we're going to do the fourth one. Now, we got six total, and uh, this is the fourth out of six. Okay? Okay, we're going to ask a question. Have you ever had a leader with a personal vendetta towards you? Someone who was constantly doing and saying rude things to you. Heads it up. How did you react to their face? How, how did you react? How, there it is. <laughs> there, thanks, Jim. How did you react to their face, and how did you react when they turned their back on you? Does anybody want to talk about that? <laughs> have, you, <laughs> have you ever had a leader with a personal vendetta towards you? Someone who was constantly doing and saying rude things to you. Has anybody got guts enough to talk about it? I've got a grandson that does that every day. <laughs> and um, a lot of things I try to ignore. Um, some things I can't ignore. Uh, I get angry, say things I shouldn't say, then I cry about it. But I try not to let it go any further than that because we have to live together. Okay. There's one right over here. Have you ever had a leader with a personal vendetta towards you? I didn't have this book back then. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a, a new principal, and for some reason he just went after me and I I was a teacher that stayed in the classroom I used the bathroom in my classroom I never had time to leave my classroom but he called me out when he got there and he said that I was trying to start a revolution <laughs> like you know there were people that had negativity towards him but I wasn't even around him to have any and um, he just went on and on about that and um, I said, well, if I need to call the superintendent, you know, to talk to him, I will. And, and he said, well, I'll dial it right now. <laughs> I said, I can make my own phone calls. <laughs> but it ended up okay. I mean, that went on for a whole year, always on my back. And I kept trying to joke. You know, that, that was the only thing I could think of, was have a sense of humor about stuff, and I would try to tell them funny things that the kids would do and things like that. And 
it ended up where he was moved from our school because he was so negative. But, you know, I think we left on an okay. But I didn't have the book. I wish I'd had the book. I would have done a lot better. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a, a lesson. I, I really think it's a very important thing to know. <laughs> How to deal with this stuff. And, uh, Jim, you got one? Um, did you talk sideways to other teachers? Yeah. See, I don't know that any of us has not done that, right? Once we're offended, um, especially with someone who has power over us, right, yeah. or is some kind of form of that, it's we, we tend to vent sideways. And we're going to learn later, and maybe even this Sunday I'm going to preach on overcoming and encountering the spirit of offense. If the scripture tells us in Matthew 5, I don't know if we get to it this time or down, but it says if you think someone's got an offense against you, you just think they do, right? Leave your offering and go and be reconciled. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say when you feel like it, uh, when you've, you know, it just says if you think so, go and be reconciled. It doesn't give any boundaries on it. It's like, yipes. And then Matthew 18, I think it's verse 23, it says if, if they sin against you, go privately. Uh, so if we could use that case, um, did you ever go to him and say, do you have something against me? What did I do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if you, again, the superintendent part is a Matthew 18 piece. If you go privately to him and says, what's up? Why do you, why do you no, no, nothing's wrong. Yeah. Well, then why don't we go to the superintendent? That's in the book, too, Matthew 18. Take someone higher. But, yeah, we're going to work through how do you do this. Okay, here you got someone. Jim, Okay. First off, uh, vendetta is a very strong word. Uh, it isn't something that I think people should use lightly. An example of that would be police officer pulls you over and gives you a ticket. That is not a vendetta. And I think sort of part of what we're doing in society nowadays is we're taking tiny things and making them all vendettas. We're starting to become super hyper-offended. So just remember that, that uh, vendetta is a very strong word in Italian. It doesn't mean come over for dinner. So um, I had a, uh, a friend who, through circumstances that I had created, became my super supervisor. They became that supervisor because I refused to become the supervisor. So I set the scenario up so that they would be my boss. And then after they became my boss... They started being my boss, and I didn't like that very much. And so, you know, you, you talk about somebody constantly saying rude things to you. I'm sure they were saying rude things to me because I really wasn't doing what they asked me to do. I did it in face only. And, you know, how did it react to their face? Well, after I started doing that, I realized this wasn't a, a really good reflection of Jesus. It was not. You know, I was a Christian, and I thought... I'm really enjoying this way too much, so I can't do this and honor God at the same time. I can't treat this person this way and, and honor God. So I, I stopped doing that, and then I had the opportunity to do stuff behind their back. And every time that came up, I turned them down and basically said, I will not do that because they are the supervisor. And I learned my lesson before God that if you don't honor somebody, you're definitely going to be tearing them down, you know. 
And I, I want to give you guys one last thing, which is a famous quote I often carry, but someone else said it, which is Abraham Lincoln's quote. He said, if you look for the evil in men's heart, you surely will find it. So when you have somebody who's got something against you, one thing I will say is that if you keep giving them Jesus, it's going to reverse the situation. The last statement, five years after I left that place's employment, that employee came to me, that old supervisor came to me and said, when I'd stopped doing that and started returning to Jesus and treating them with respect, it was a big change point in their life to be a better supervisor. You know, so it was, it's something that you can use, and if you do use it, it'll turn out real, real well. So, anyway. All right, thank you. A lot of times, we're not offended by things, but a lot of times things happen to us that cause us to get offended. And uh, that's, I think that's what John was talking about. It, does, it doesn't work like we think it works, does it? It's, it's like going through the back door. <laughs> so. It's amazing. All right, group discussion questions. Let's go ahead and put that up, Jim. No, it's uh, keep going. No, that's yeah. that number one. In your own words, how would you define unfair treatment? What kind is the most difficult to deal with and why? Okay, we've got a microphone. We're going to walk around, talk to people. In your own words, how would you define unfair treatment? What kind is the most difficult to deal with and why? Okay, Judy, get one over there. When someone actually I just come at you for no reason at all, and the most difficult kind to deal with is when it's coming from the house of God. Yeah, okay. You're saying, yeah, that's a good one. What kind is the most difficult? The people that should know better. Get Judy next, then we'll come over there. Okay. Um, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest types of unfair treatment for me personally is when um, I share with someone that something that happened or was said or done, uh, how I responded to it, how whether it hurt my feelings or whatever. I, I open up and I'm honest with them. And what I find the hardest to deal with is when they turn it around and try to put it back on me yeah. that I'm in the wrong for even feeling that way. And that's really hard for me to deal with because <laughs> you go, you're encouraged to be, you know, you're encouraged to be, uh, what's the word, I'm trans transparent. And and then it almost feels like it's um, so unfair to have it turned on you. Okay. Yeah. Over here. In your own words, how would you define unfair treatment? <laughs> That's the question. Yes, I mean, I, I believe in the church. I think there's a higher form of accountability. If I have offended her, I need to immediately, you know, correct it. And because if, if we pray together, then, you know, we grieve the spirit and we can't get the prayer through. But at the workplace, I don't know, it's, it's just a different approach. I mean, when I was 
working for the prison system for 23 years. I was I made it all the way up to a lieutenant, and you know I just you know if 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 people would I mean if they speak to you wrong, I would just tell them I say hey listen I'm gonna pull them to the side I'm gonna tell them very kindly I say listen don't talk to me like that again because if you do I'm going to report you I'm going to write you up and and even as a lieutenant I would tell that to the officers and I also would tell that to the supervisors above me. And then, of course, they wouldn't talk to me. They were mad at me, but I got the results. And, and, and after a while, it didn't matter how they look out there. It's just a matter of me checking it in here to make sure I've got peace with God. And the Bible says to not let anything be above that, you know, of, of the peace that he gives you. I, mean, I don't know. I'm trying to convey it as best as I can. So, and, uh, but, yeah. Thank you. I think I think I, I agree with Judy that that it's hardest to deal with when somebody's in the church, and, and uh, it's hardest to deal with unfair treatment. <laughs> we'll give you a microphone. <laughs> I think a betrayal by a friend, and it's like you you put your trust in a close yeah. friend and. And you find out certain things that, and um, I think in a work situation, when you're being unfairly treated by not a boss but a coworker, but then the boss doesn't want to hear it, and you don't know at that point who to go to. Yeah. If the supervisor doesn't want to hear it, and you're just kind of left hanging out to dry. Yeah, one of the solutions to this kind of a problem is to pray for them. If you don't know what to do, just say, Lord, help me. <laughs> and uh, that's the only thing. It, it doesn't matter what they do. It just, uh, we just pray for them. And I, I think sometimes that's taking the higher ground. It's uh, letting the Lord do the judging, letting the Lord do the thing, but... Go ahead. I think family is hard when there's sort of a betrayal by family. Um, my husband had um, cancer, and he we prayed, and he chose to do a more uh, natural diet. That's what he felt like God was telling him to do. And we went to a Christian um, doctor and... When my husband passed away, his family, they were very powerful, and they had a lot of money, and they, they got the Virginia board, the medical board, to take away this man's license. Wow. And he had lived for generations in this area. They had a beautiful stone uh, house, and he had like six children. So he was, when you have your medical license, you cannot do anything. You can't even work in a pharmacy. So they moved to Charlotte, and I moved to Wilmington with my, my family. And we had to go before the State Board of Medicine in North Carolina because he was trying to get his medical license back. And I never said anything. I mean, I did do... I mean, it's almost like I did read that book back then because I didn't, 
I didn't say anything to his family. It was very difficult. I mean, we were in court for days and days. It was in the newspaper, and I just couldn't believe it, you know. But I just tried to, you know, trust the Lord. And um, when we were in North Carolina and went to the, the medical board and we were having the hearing, this man, I was sitting like here, and this man was in the seat right up here, and he turned around and he said, let me tell you something. This, and I didn't know at the time that he was the head of the board. He said, this is not Virginia. This is North Carolina, and we know what happened, and we're not letting it happen here. He said, I'm a believer. That's what he said, and I thought, God, you are so good. And I mean, this man, you know, this doctor is thriving in Charlotte. All his children are in ministry. And I thought, you know, he was never, I felt like the whole thing was my fault. And I kept saying, I am so sorry that this happened to you. And he said, I'm not. You know, God is providing and God's going to take care of my family. That's right. Uh, sometimes... You can take a tell in your own mind if you're offended by you're trying to make a case against them in your mind. You ever gone to sleep thinking about something over and over again, trying to justify your actions? <laughs> and uh, Jesus is a good lawyer. He's never lost. <laughs> that's really awesome. And uh, just letting him handle everything. And that seemed to be a very difficult situation. Okay, number two. God has promised to repay those who have harshly treated us. Sometimes his repayment doesn't come in the form of punishment. It comes in the form of salvation of the person who has wronged us. If this were to happen to an enemy of yours, what would be your reaction and why? And what does this say about the condition of your heart? <laughs> we'll just leave that last part off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God has promised to repay those who have harshly treated us. Do we all believe that? Yeah. I'm telling you, it, just like a lawyer, you've got to say, Lord, it's yours. They said this, you know the truth, and uh, I trust you. But I think the harder part would be when somebody got saved and you say, Dad, gummit, they didn't get punished. <laughs> yeah. Philip? The first thing that came to my mind was just if uh, people have been isolating me or talking bad about me behind my back or things like that at work or wherever, and uh, that person were to get saved, then, um, you know, it would be a steep climb for that person to change their their ways. Yeah. And uh, I think um, leaving that up to God for to, to um, help that man or woman to... to um, go from point A to point B would be payment enough watch, watching that uh, transformation <laughs> take place. I just, uh, last week I visited my cousin who's an atheist and he said, how could a God who loves people punish them so severely forever and ever? That's what he thought. And that's one of the reasons why he doesn't believe in Jesus. That was that was what he told me. I could, I've never heard it that way, but uh, he uh, he didn't. Uh. Okay, go to number three. While some 
verses in Scripture are uplifting, others are considerably har harder to swallow. When you run across a passage like these, what do you normally do? And what should be our response to the more difficult passages of truth? What about the one where, where Jesus uh, said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood? His, they, who was offended? His disciples. They were all offended by that. I still don't understand that one. <laughs> Does anybody here know? Go ahead, Judy. But the first thing I do is I read it again to make sure I was really actually reading what I thought I was reading, and then I go, okay, God, you're going to really have to help me with this one because not only do I not understand it, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not sure I could possibly do it on my own, so help. <laughs> That's what I do, too, <laughs> help. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot in the Bible that uh, it's hard to understand. Most of it is, is easy to understand, but some of it's just very difficult. But this is where we come into trusting God. We trust God. He's good. He loves you. <laughs> and uh, that's how you do it. You can trust him. All right. Next question. When we are being treated cruelly and unjustly again and again, we're not only need to, we, we not only need God's strength to endure, but also his wisdom to know what to do. Can you identify godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom? What results can you expect listening to each? And, Go ahead and read James 3, 13, Jan. You got it? I asked uh, Jan to read uh, James uh, 3, 13 through 18. I think un ungodly wisdom is usually someone telling you to, to get revenge or to, you know, to get them back. And it's usually not, uh, I mean, it's, I guess, typically human, but it's not godly. So, okay. James 3, 13. All right, this is New Living Translation. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there, for, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's, use, God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whatever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It also has peace, loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you, Jan. Oh, that's a, that's, that's a high standard. <laughs> You go ahead. I've been wrestling with this for the sermon on Sunday. So John Bevere read that scripture in Peter, right? I'll just summarize it for us. It says, um, enduring unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing the wrong things. You're called to do good and to suffer. Verse 23, that's 1 Peter 2, 23. Do not retaliate when you're insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Jesus didn't do that. So let me ask this question. <clears throat> this may be some of you have seen or at least heard. In the, uh, in the mass murders that happened on, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, we were there a couple of years ago, actually, in ministry, and right on that street. And uh, we went to every house in the city of Dayton, and the mayor were there. We did outreaches and we did prayer ministry. So it was kind of, I, I could relate to seeing a lot of that. Anyway, 
Within 28 seconds, I think there were, uh, I don't know how many mass, but nine people were murdered in 28 seconds, right? And if you watch the video, the three officers that engage him and eventually take him out. But this says, don't retaliate against the revenge, right? Um, the scripture says, when you're being truly uh, treated cruelly and unjustly again and again, so how do you reconcile this? Who'd like to answer that? A police officer is a peacemaker. He's authorized by God to do what he does. He wasn't doing murder. He was actually bringing peace. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking too, the uh, choose life thing. When uh, there's two verses like that, that uh, one verse is higher, of higher importance than the other. I think was was maybe an answer to, let me, let me shift the scenario a minute. You're driving home from church tonight, and on the side of the road, there's a man with a baseball bat beating a 12-year-old. What are you going to do? Run him over. <laughs> what's the difference here? This is, this is really, the, what's going on here? What's Pastor Tom, um, there's a, a great movie, Sergeant York. That was called up in World War I to fight, and he didn't want to. He was a conscientious objector. I remember that. And, but yet his superior said, go away for a little while and think about it. Read your Bible. Ask the Lord. And he came back, and he said, I'll fight. And he says, well, what changed your mind? And he said, well, I figure if I can shoot the enemy, then I can actually save lives. So with the cop in the Dayton, the three cops in Dayton, Ohio, he's, as Jim said, they have the authority by God, but also they're there to actually save more lives. And the same thing with the person with a weapon beating up a younger person, we're always called to protect if, if we're able to. Yeah, one of the answers to what Terry was asking is in the balance of Scripture, right? We know there's tension in Scripture, right? What about, I, th I thought you Christians were supposed to turn the other cheek, right, and pray. Well, there is a time for that, but there's also a time when we don't, right? Okay. Tom Bevere was giving um, the example that Jesus gave us. And what went through my mind, so I'm checking this out with you, okay? What went through my mind is I really don't think that that was really a good example to use in that situation because Jesus had no reason to answer He'd already checked with the father. He knew this was going to happen. So there was no reason for him to say anything. No reason for him to respond. He knew what was going to happen, and he just accepted it. So I, I kind of questioned yeah, the using. From an example, we know that Jesus, his mission was to die. <laughs> 
So if he had interde- interjected at that point, it would have countered the mission. But it doesn't change the fact that we're to ask God, what do I do in this situation? Especially now, all of this, especially Peter's stuff, is about you personally receiving abuse. Scriptures talk about those who are innocent, those who shed innocent blood, protect those who have no voice for themselves, right? So we stand in that. That's for someone else that you're coming into. So if you're under an abusive situation, some are, in marriages, and relationships, children, that's what you've got to pray and ask God, what do I do? I've, I've witnessed um, with others that have walked through marriages where there's abuse going on, and we always tell them, get out, get safe. But those who stay with an addicted person for years and God say, well, you should leave. Well, and they don't leave, and then God gets them saved. So part of it is, God, what do, what do you want me to do in this situation? I don't know what to do. If it's me, show me how to endure. If it's somebody else... I may, interde- I may be asked to intervene. Okay, go ahead and get, skip number five and just put the prayer of commitment. Sorry. Jan's handing out uh, a, a commitment prayer to, for all of you. If you choose to do it, it says, Father, I have shared my heart with you and written down what blank did to hurt me. <laughs> Please forgive me for holding any unforgiveness toward them. I want to forgive them, but I need your strength to do it. So as an act of my will, not my feelings, I release them into your hands. I trust you to deal with them in your name, in your way, and I will not avenge myself. Please heal that hurt in my soul, the painful memories and feelings that have remained. Give me grace to trust you with all my life and to submit to the leaders that you place over me. Your word says that you'll work all things together for my good. Because I love you and I am pursuing your purpose for my life. Romans 8.28. I am trusting you to faithfully fulfill your promises in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, put that person's name in in your quiet prayer time. Put that person's name in there. You don't have to feel like it. You just have to say it. We were a couple short. There's one more. Okay, let's summarize the session now next. Just take that home with you and, and fill that out later on. Uh, God, instructed, it, it God instructed us to not avenge ourselves in a command, not a suggestion. We can trust him to make all things in his time and his way. This confidence is a righteous thing in his eyes. Okay, These are just statements. Go ahead, Jim. Number two, when, when we're falsely accused... God himself will defend us if we let him. Remember what I said about lawyer. He's the best lawyer ever. He knows everything about everybody. He knows what the other guy's thinking. How in the world? (laughs) He's the greatest attorney in the universe has ever known, and he's never lost a case. We are called to submit to our leaders, whether they're good and gentle or harsh and unreasonable. To fulfill this calling, we need Christ's supernatural strength living in and through us. It won't be very, it won't be pleasant sometimes. That boss of yours that's causing all these problems, it, he might cause your life to be a living challenge. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say that, <laughs> but uh, we are called to submit to our leaders. 
All right, the harsh leader is the next one. A harsh leader is one who is crooked, cruel, perverse, dishonest, and tyrannical. Submitting to a leader like this will take more than willpower. It takes Christ's power, the supernatural strength of his spirit. Take time to meditate on these problems. And that's where it comes in. Just pray about it. That, that's, you know, uh, what not, who's, that, who's the lady that's, uh, I can't think of her name, but she said she's really upset when people say, oh, I've done everything I can do, I'll pray now. Joyce Meyer, that's who it is. <laughs> Joyce said that, yeah. I must have listened to 50 of hers. <laughs> okay, this is, this is some scriptures that, that uh, will dot the I and cross the T. He gives, he, he gives power to the faint and weary, and to him who has no might, he increases the strength, causing it to multiply and making it to abound. And that's in uh, Isaiah 40, 20, 29. Philippians 4.13 says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. God's way for us is to deal with a leader. Leader's unjust treatment is to humble ourselves and bless them by praying. A blessing on them, we will receive a blessing. It's getting, it's getting close to the end, so I'm just kind of going fast here. Number five, what we plant, we will harvest. As we continue to plant seeds of love, mercy, peace, and forgiveness, we'll eventually reap the harvest. God's seed produces a good harvest. Now, I feel like going to Nashville, Tennessee, 10 hour, 12 hour drive is <laughs> a long way. But this atheist cousin of mine, I planted some seed in his life. We had plenty of time to talk alone. And um, he, he didn't believe in God. He, he's, he's all fed, fed up with it. Let's see what Anna, Hannah Woodall Smith, she was a, an old, older lady, much like uh, Catherine Marshall. Catherine Marshall read a lot of her books, and I, and I, I grew up reading Catherine Marshall. <laughs> and she's an author and speaker. She lost four of her seven children in the war, the middle Quote, we are not to avenge ourselves because our Father has charged himself with our defense. We are not to fear, for the Lord is on our side. No one can be against us because he is for us. No man or company of men, no power on earth or heaven can touch that soul which is abiding in Christ without first passing through him and receiving the seal of his permission. If God is with us or for us, it matters not who may be against us. And... The last thing is from Tozier. Have y'all ever heard of him? A.W. Tozier, he's a famous man, a famous preacher. It's vitally important that we, we move up into the spirit and cease to defend ourselves. I call it the higher ground. <laughs> I've never met a victorious Christian who was on the defensive, but I have met, I cannot tell how many, jumpy, skittish, and thoroughly unhappy Christians who were burning up their energies in a vain endeavor to protect themselves. My earnest advice to all such nervous souls is to turn everything over to God and relax. A real Christian need not defend his position or his possessions. God will take care of both. He, he does. And I got one more scripture. This is in 1 Peter 3, 8. I think Tom was... Tom was all over this. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, 
Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pray. Pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do and will grant you his blessing. Okay, let's all stand up. That's about 8 o'clock. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, weighty subject <laughs> of offense. Uh, we've all benefited from it, and I know that, uh, that your word does not go out without planting a seed and growing. And we just ask you to bless us in each, each and everything that happens to us. Give us the, the wisdom, Lord Jesus, to treat all situations as you would have it. In Jesus' name, amen.